All right. Well, I hope you all have been blessed so far this entire weekend. I certainly have. Um, it has just been a joy for me to be here to see some old friends who I haven't seen in years um, and to meet some new friends too. So thank you for, again, Elder Restropo for the opportunity to be here. Um, it has been an honor for me and a blessing. So today we want to talk about addictions and I call it the devil's battleground. And so we're going to get into that. But before we do, again, just a reminder, where can you find our mental health resources from the North American Division? This is the website, nadhealth.org slash restored. By the way, the word restored, we really labored over finding just the right terminology for our focus on mental health. But through actually several months of praying and conversations, talking to different mental health professionals and, and young people, this word just, just rose to the top. It just came. And what it reminds us is of the renewing of the mind that Christ wants in each of us. He wants to restore us to the Eden world where he created us whole. And so what we want to do with our mental health is restore it through the power of Christ. And so uh, that is our focus to be restored. So yesterday I met some friends here who told me, oh, I get your email newsletter. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> wow, that's great. And we hadn't met before, but we, we got to meet yesterday because of that little connection. So I thought, well, I wonder if maybe others might be interested. So if you are interested in getting our email newsletter, we send updates, we send um, new resources that are being developed, new events and opportunities that are coming up. So you can go to our website and subscribe. We, we send an email once a month, sometimes once every other month. So we're not going to bombard you too much um, until our health summit comes up. And then we start sending out a lot more emails. But, but really, if you're interested in, in any of the work that we're doing and the resources, you're welcome to join us there. And again, our website and um, our email address that I do get the emails that get sent there. So you are welcome to reach out to me from there as well. Since we're talking about addiction, I do also want you to know that we do have an addiction recovery program that was developed by the church. And it is a Christian program. We believe that it is Christ who sets us free. And so we are... Um, utilizing the 12-step model of peer support, but it's a Christian-based, a Christ-based program. So you are welcome to go look at that as well because recovery happens in safe communities. And so our goal is for our churches to be a safe community. Okay, so we 
um, had a word of prayer already, but I, I always like to pray again. We can't have enough of speaking to God. So let's pray as we begin. Father in heaven, Lord, again we come before you seeking bread from the throne of heaven, seeking strength for these last days, and seeking your calling in our lives and the purpose that you have for us. Because, Lord, we know that when we take hold of your purpose for us, that too can keep us safe from the temptations of the world. So be with us as we study and learn about what you have planned for each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you your homework at the beginning. Okay? So I, I come from a long line of teachers, and so, so teaching is, is something I enjoy to do, and when you teach, you always should give homework. Okay? So this is homework. And I'm not going to check your homework, but it's, it's up to you to search for the words deal and minds in the writings of Ellen White. Okay, you don't have to put it all in quotes, deal, minds, quotes, but the words deal and minds. I, I, I've done this, and there are almost 1,900 entries. And you can use, you know, the software that they have with her writings. Almost 1,900 entries with the word deal, minds. Because we're talking about healing the broken brain. Well, we need to know how to do that, how to help support that process on an individual basis, as well as with the, the broad educational strategies that we have. And so this is a very interesting study to do, to just search for the words deal and minds. I'm going to share with you one of the quotes that um, has been really informative and humbling for me. And this is found in Acts of the Apostles. She says this, and this is in regards to the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. That's the context. An important lesson for every minister of Christ, how many? Every minister of Christ to learn is that of what? Adapting his or her labors to the condition of those whom he seeks to benefit. Wow. That is tough, honestly, because we are all individuals and we have our minds as well. We have our ways of saying things and doing things, our, our personalities. You know, we, we just like to do things in certain ways. But what we are being told here is to actually focus on the person we're trying to help and to turn our energies to what will be beneficial to them and to adapt our methods. But this is universal. Tenderness, patience, decision, and firmness are alike needful. But these are to be exercised with proper discrimination, to deal wisely, wow, with different classes of minds under varied circumstances and conditions is a work 
requiring wisdom and judgment enlightened and sanctified by the Spirit of God. This is a mighty work. In fact, in other passages, she will say, it is the nicest of work to deal with human minds. Nicest. I don't think she means that's the most pleasant work to do. <laughs> but it's something that requires a different perspective and approach. It's something that is, is very, very... I would say, unique to the influence of the Spirit. Because we don't always know where a person's mind is. So we need the assistance of the Spirit in dealing with human minds. And remember, it is in the mind that we make our decisions for Christ. So that is where we want to influence people in a holistic and healthy way. So I want to apologize if I dealt with any minds here incorrectly. <laughs> so forgive me for if I have let my humanity come through. Um, but I hope that, this is, that what we have shared together has been a blessing and has enlightened us and helped us understand a little bit more of how to deal with human minds, especially those who are struggling with various mental, emotional um, even spiritual health issues. Okay. All right. I, um, I want to point out one of the webinars that we did uh, a couple years ago. The broad topic was on health disparities, uh, but one of the underlying issues that was brought out, and this presentation was done by Dr. David Williams. He's one of the most renowned Adventists in the world today. Um, he's well respected in the scientific community and he is a, a stalwart in the Adventist church as well. He's also a, an honorary associate director for the General Conference Health Ministries. So something that, a point that he brings out here, and I encourage you, encourage you to listen to it because he can explain it more, he has done a wealth of research looking at how people make decisions. And something that he learned through this study is that it's very easy. In fact, he says in the fraction of, of the time that it takes to blink our eye, our brain automatically puts someone that we meet into a box. Isn't that fascinating? It's an automatic response. Is that we automatically say, oh, you look like this, so you're in this box. You speak like this, your language is this, your actions are this, so you are now in this box. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't have to be because it's our way of us processing, right? who these people are. Again, we want to deal with human minds, so that helps us to figure out, okay, how, how can I relate to this person? The challenge, the danger, is when that automatic response becomes the default without any logical consideration. Meaning, we might put them in a box that says, well, you are that person and I'm this person. 
So we're, 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 it's you and it's, it's a me against you. It's you're one of them, you're not one of us. And that's the danger. And we want to be very cautious and careful with that because those barriers that we set up prevent us from dealing with human minds as God wants us to. And again, that's an automatic response. So we don't have to be afraid of that, but the recognition that that it could be happening in our interactions with people can help us to check ourselves. Okay? So much of working with other people is about checking myself. Hold on here. Let me, let me reconsider what I'm doing because I might be actually putting that person off rather than embracing them for Christ's kingdom. Anyway, listen to that. I bring that point up because it does play into the topic of addictions. Because as soon as we say the word addictions, what are the pictures that come into our mind? Who are the people that we think of? Drug addicts. Yeah, maybe the homeless person on the street. Right? The person who looks very disheveled and out of control and what society sometimes considers worthless. But, as we will see, addictions reach much farther than that. So let's look at this. Again, our goal in health ministry, really, overall, is to make this promise come true. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That is our goal. That is what we all ultimately desire, is to have the mind of Christ. We're going to watch a short video. Three pounds of remarkable matter commands your lungs to expand, your skin to feel, and your heart to slow down or speed up. This same three pounds of mass interprets the world around you and gives you the ability to remember the things you have seen, heard, smelled, and felt. Every word you speak, every step you take, every gesture you make is the product of this extraordinary matter called the brain. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 lays the foundational principle of life. Keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Life's issues find their reservoir in the heart or the mind, and by extension, the brain. Brain development begins from the back portion, which controls things like balance, voluntary movement, and even some involvement in thoughts, emotions, and social behavior. At the age of 25, it ends with the frontal lobes, which control reasoning and planning. To maximize brain health and, by extension, our mental health, we need healthy portions of four simple elements. Sleep, eat, move, and think. Research indicates that sleeping removes toxins from the brain that build up while we are awake. Uninterrupted sleep is like a housekeeper who picks up and organizes all of the clutter that accumulates throughout the day. Thus, in order for our brains to thrive, we must get sufficient sleep. 
Eating is more than just putting food in the body. Eating is about consuming the type of foods that keep the brain running at an optimal level. Foods such as green and leafy vegetables, berries, walnuts, and foods that are rich in omega-3 are known as brain foods. With these daily nutrients, the brain can deal better with everyday stresses and boost its function. Movement is another element that aids in the care of our brain. Studies suggest that movement stimulates our brain. Inactivity, on the other hand, causes mental atrophy, which can lead to depression. Taking a brisk walk outdoors for at least 30 minutes a day can significantly improve our brain health and ultimately our mental health. Lastly, embracing healthy thoughts can have a significant impact on our brain health. We often do an excellent job evaluating the unhealthy and irrational thinking that others hold, but have difficulties identifying the harmful and baseless thoughts that lie at the core of how we see ourselves and others. The opportunity to share our thoughts with caring and trustworthy friends, family members, or mental health professional can help us discern between the thoughts that we need to embrace and the ones we need to let go. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. Our minds also need an intangible form of these same elements. Our souls must be nourished with the nutrition of the word to stay active in service to Jesus and others, to embrace the healthy thought of God loving us despite our past mistakes and present imperfections and resting in his promise to save us and love us forever. just one of the videos in our series about keeping a healthy brain so again we encourage you to use those videos and the keys that we looked at there are also important when we're talking about addiction prevention and recovery and we'll talk about that but I want to start by talking about a biblical um, biblical foundation for discussing addictions Okay, so let's look at how does the Bible help us to understand addictions and our world today. So we are going to Daniel chapter 1. It's a very familiar story, of course, so, but we're going to look at a different aspect today. Daniel chapter 1, and let's just read the introduction in verses 1 through 6. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And here we get introduced to some of our key players in the book of Daniel. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princess, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding signs, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Just a thought. 
Really, that just occurs to me as we're reading this. Do you remember yesterday when we looked at the four aspects of, what, of how God created us that, made, that make us whole in Genesis chapter 2? The physical, the spiritual connection with God, the mental prowess, and social. Do you see any of those elements listed here in this verse that we just read? Okay, Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. Children in whom was no blemish, but well favored. What is that? Physical. They were healthy, healthy young men. Skillful wisdom in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science. They were science students. What is that? Mental. What's next? Such as had ability to stand in the king's palace. Social. Let me tell you, no leader wants you if you're just a rogue. <laughs> they want people who are going to be working together to help their kingdom. Interesting. Of course, they leave out the spiritual, right? Why is that? Because they want to teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Interesting. Those four principles show up over and over again. Let's go on. Verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Wow, here are these exemplary young men, the cream of the crop of Israel at this time. And here they are taken as slaves. What was that like for these young men? Just try to, with your sanctified imagination, think about what was that like. These were, remember, royal seed. And here they now were as slaves. What was that like for them? Their kingdom, which they believed was God's chosen kingdom, had been taken captive by a pagan king. Their entire, um, the, 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 even their leader, their king, his children were killed and then his eyes were put out. So their leader, who is the symbol of the power of their kingdom, really, was now under submission. They were forced to walk, probably. I doubt they gave them camel, camels to ride on. They were probably forced to walk a very long road to a foreign kingdom. Now, some say that they would have taken this northern course, which would have you know, taken them near the river, some say they may have gone through the desert. We're, we don't know for sure. But the estimate is that it could have been three to six months of journey on foot. 
And then when they got to Babylon, what did they experience? What met their senses? Remember, three to six months traveling on foot, probably very little food and sustenance, probably not very comfortable sleeping arrangements. And now they get to Babylon. Here's what we see from some of the archaeological findings. The city of Babylon was about a square of 14 miles on each side. 14 miles? There aren't that many cities today that are that large, really, if you think about the city proper. It spanned the Euphrates River, and bridges were half a mile long. Do we have bridges that are half a mile long today? There are a few, but very few. We've, we hear about the hanging gardens of Babylon, whether or not that's true, whether or not it really happened. But think, just imagine if they had a, a river water source, it must have been quite lush, especially after going through deserted land. So the beauty that met their eyes as they came upon the city this is a, um, I, I believe it's a replica of the Ishtar Gate, one of the gates to the city of Babylon, which was, I believe, very close to the palace itself. There were eight of these massive gates, 300 feet thick, 25 feet high, immense. 20, 250 towers that were 400 feet high. I don't know about you, but I've, I've been to New York City, I've been to LA, I'm not a city girl, okay, it doesn't really make me happy to be in cities, but it's quite impressive as you just drive by it or fly over it even, these large cities, you just have to awe at the incredible infrastructure that goes into building things like that. And this is what greets their eyes. Now, what about the religion? 53 temples is what we're, we understand within that city. 180 altars alone to Ishtar. And of course, they brought in as many gods as they could. If you wanted a god of this or that, you could bring them in. So the... the, the, the Forgive me for saying it this way, but the richness of the pagan worship was something that they were exposed to. So what was it like for these young 17-year-old men who've just been through this horrendous experience, remember three years of a siege in Jerusalem, then walking through, the, the, through their captivity, and now coming to this? What were their minds being stimulated with? King Nebuchadnezzar himself called Babylon the pride, the might and power of his majesty, the honor of his majesty. We're also told in Isaiah that Babylon was the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency. The Bible itself speaks of the immense beauty of this city. 
So life in Babylon was rich, luxurious, all that could stimulate the senses. This mixture of traditions, cultures, religions, a wealth of anything that a young person could ever desire. And here they were, being thrown in, but they were given access to it all. You see, they weren't thrown into the dungeon. They were, all of this was placed before them and they were told, you can have it all. This is for you. This is for, we want you to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And here, indulge all your senses. Wow. Is there a temptation today to indulge in our senses? We had a question yesterday that brought up, what about all of the occult things that are seen on TV and read in books and so on and so forth? Doesn't that impact our brain? Absolutely. I'm sure it does. We have some scientific evidence that looks at some of these things. I'll be honest, I haven't seen them conclusively state that reading this or watching that will give you a mental health condition. I'll be honest, I haven't seen that. If you know that research, please show me. I would love to know because it becomes an educational tool. But yes, we are definitely affected by what goes through the avenues to our soul, which are our senses. We are impacted whether for good or for ill. And here, Daniel and his three friends were placed in this and given free access to all these wondrous beauties that the world could give them. Christ spoke about something very similar in Matthew 24. He says this, And because iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. But then he says, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. So many things that we could indulge in that could impact our lives, but Christ is saying, endure the temptation. Endure, resist the urge to partake and participate. Ellen White says this in Councils on Health. I have been shown, now when she says that, we've got to really pay attention, right? I have been shown that we live amid the perils of the last days. Immorality abounds everywhere. Licentiousness is the special sin of this age. Never did vice lift its deformed head with such boldness as, boldness as now. The people seem to be, what? Benumbed. And the lovers of virtue and true goodness are nearly discouraged by its boldness, strength, and prevalence. Benumbed. The mind being numbed to what is around. It is a real problem in the world today. 
going on, the iniquity which abounds. Oh, sorry, I have to go back. I have to preface the next slide because it might be a little painful, so prepare. Because we talk about it out there, right? It is around us, but we need to keep reading. She says in the same passage, the iniquity which abounds is not merely confined to the unbeliever and the scoffer. Many men and women who profess the religion of Christ are guilty. What do we call people who profess the religion of Christ? Christians. Christians. Right? Oh dear. It's okay to giggle. It gets out nervous energy. It's okay. Christians. But we can't stop reading, friends. We've got to press on. Even some who profess to be looking for his appearing are no more prepared for that event than Satan himself. Who, what do we call people who are looking for his appearing? Oh, say a little louder. Adventists. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the state of the world within Christianity, and yes, even within our church. But, but friends, I want us to think a little bit closer to home today. Is this the situation with me in my heart? Because we know that unless we remove the beam from our eye, we cannot help others with the specks. So in all that we learn, our first question is, Lord, is it I? And then we can be a force for good. Lo, this only have I found, we are told by, in Ecclesiastes, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. We talked about the holistic design again, those four areas. And let's quickly name them again. The four areas are physical, spiritual, mental, and social, relational. These are important to distinguish in our minds, again, when we're talking about addictions, and we'll look at that. Again, Genesis chapter 3, we saw the brokenness that occurred in all four of those areas, right? So how does that brokenness connect to addictions? This is the definition of addictions by the American Society of Addictions Medicine. This is the, um, the, the, the organizational body that the majority of addiction specialists are a part of. This is, they, it kind of looks at addictions and they set up the uh, criteria and you know, all of those things. So they're a very influential group and this is what they say. Addiction is a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. 
where does reward, brain reward, motivation, memory happen? Those are in the brain. So the addiction, they're identifying addiction as something happening within the brain itself. And they call it a primary chronic disease. Chronic meaning it is a long-term disease. It's something that happens over a lifetime. Um, and, and then they go on to say this, dysfunctions, okay, basically brokenness, in these circuits of the brain, the reward, motivation, memory, brokenness in those circuits lead to characteristics, catch this, biological, psychological, social, and spiritual manifestations. How many? Do they sound familiar? Isn't that what we saw in Genesis 2 and 3 again? That's what they're saying. The addiction professionals are saying that addiction impacts every part of what God created in us. And this is why I call it the devil's battleground. This is where he is fighting to win the battle over souls. Through addictions. The last point the individual pathologically pursues reward or relief by substance use or other behaviors. So reward or relief and through substance use or other behaviors. We're going to unpack those terms a little bit as well. Substance use. This is what we generally think about as addictions. This is the first picture that comes to mind. We named some of those a moment ago. The tobacco, alcohol, illegal drugs, prescription drugs as well. Opioids are under that. Um, but other prescription drugs can be addictive uh, as well. Um, there are many other things that could be considered substance abuse. And so we, we categorize them just to help us understand what these are and how they influence the brain. But we also know that there are what are called behavioral addictions or process addictions is another term. Now these are the other things that some of them are, you know, we recognize clearly as addictions, some of them not so much. Gambling, pornography, stealing, gaming, potentially, especially in today's world, right? So we need to be aware. And by the way, technology, praise God for technology. But yes, the devil can use anything that was meant for good. He can use it against us as well. The internet work or ministry Possibly. Wow. Food. Exercise, even. Shopping. Knowledge or power can be addictive as well. And then relationships, codependency. A lot of people often ask, what is that? 
One way to define codependency is two sick people getting sicker together. They're basically just, just promoting the addictions of each other, promoting bad behaviors together. So we want healthy relationships, right? We want people in our lives who are going to help us through our problems, not to live in them. Okay, so that's just a very simplistic way. It's a lot more complex than that, but simplistic way. I've, I've mentioned we have the addiction recovery program through the church, so I've been you know, working in this sphere since I started at the NAD. Among Adventists, yes, there are people within our own church who struggle with addictions. But I love it when I hear those who said, you know, that was me. I was the one who was addicted to alcohol or tobacco, but Christ gave me freedom. I love those stories. But you know, as we continue to work together and we engage them in ministry, a lot of times what I hear, you know, once God delivered me from those, I realized that I have a food addiction too or I realize I have a control addiction. So those are the two that I'm really seeing a lot of within the church, okay? So again, family, this is our opportunity to self-reflect and see, Lord, what is in me that I need to turn over to you? Amen? Let's keep going. Some psychiatrists... Adventist psychiatrist who actually told me this, we can basically become addicted to anything we feel we cannot live without, and it leads us to live an unbalanced, unhealthy life, regardless of the harm it causes to us or others. So let's just take ministry for a moment, because how would ministry become an addiction? Is it possible that we might, in our fervor to do ministry, begin to live an unhealthy life? Is it possible that our ministry might actually cause harm to others? Those are sobering questions to think about, isn't it? Having said that, just because we struggle with something does not mean it is a clinical addiction. Okay, so don't be scared that, oh no, I'm an, I'm an addict. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to identify all of us as addicts. But really just for us, for most of us, for many of us, for some of us, we just struggle in these areas of our lives. And when we acknowledge that, then we can go to Christ for healing. But we also have to recognize that there are some people who have progressed further down and they do have clinic, clinically pathological addictions. And I do believe that as a church, we have a role to help them find freedom as well. So let's look at those consequences to addictions. Remember, the Addiction Society identified the four areas. Let's look at how those four areas can be impacted by an addiction. So cognitive and emotional impacts of addiction. Oftentimes, the person is really preoccupied with their substance, the, the thing that they're addicted to. How do I get more? 
Um, where can I get more money so I can get more of the drug or the alcohol or whatever it is? Uh, what, what do I need to do to order my day so that I make sure I can do that? <laughs> so their entire life actually revolves around the addiction rather than other things. The inability to evaluate the risks because of the mental changes that are going on in their brain, their frontal lobe becomes decreased in its ability to actually evaluate that this addiction, this behavior that I'm doing is harmful. In fact, they often deny that that's the cause of the problems in their life. They're not able to see that. They're, they act, their brain actually just cannot process the fact that that behavior is causing so much of the problems and pain in their life. And so the denial that they have to them is true. And so again, when we're dealing with minds, we have to recognize the brokenness and the level of brokenness that's in their brain. So we don't have to fight them on certain things but we find a pathway around it to help them. Increased anxiety, emotional pain, sensitivity to stressors, just life just feels so much more difficult to them. Or identifying or describing their emotions and their feelings can be challenging for them as well. What about physical? Well, of course, there are direct impacts of especially drugs, cocaine, methamphetamine, um, alcohol, tobacco, those directly impact the body as well, and each one is different. They can certainly become injured if they become intoxicated. Overdosing can lead to coma death. Increased risk of stroke or heart attack, depending on the drug. Poor hygiene and nutrition. The rest of life doesn't seem as important, and so eating healthy is not as vital to them. Taking care of their bodies is not as important to them. So that could potentially be one of the impacts of addiction. And then, of course, if a pregnant woman is using an addictive substance, there could be damage to the, um, the unborn child as well. Social, socially, relationships definitely suffer, absolutely. Healthy relationships are very difficult to maintain. Again, think about the mental and emotional um, issues that they are actually experiencing. And we need <laughs> it's, it's difficult to be nice to people and to be friendly to people when you're not feeling well, isn't it? We've all experienced that. And so just imagine what a broken brain, how the difficult it might be for them. They can also become reclusive, think about harming themselves, others. There's that codependency again. Relationships become unhealthy because we need relationships. And so some of them may be dependent on relationships, but it's dependent on just getting worse. One person might enable, look, I just want you to be, to stop. Some of the pictures are, are very, very 
gruesome. And I don't necessarily want to paint those pictures. But if someone just wants to stop, you know, I don't want you to beat me up anymore. Here's your alcohol. Okay? So unhealthy relationships. And by the way, unhealthy relationships can sometimes be the root as well of some addictive behaviors. What about the spiritual consequences? Spiritual senses become numb. The inability to just, just receive message from God. To sit and listen to a spiritual discussion. Losing interest in spiritual activities, especially personal religious activities. Especially, you know, if they're preoccupied with their addiction, then they're going to stop being occupied with things that are fighting the addiction, right? Questioning God. Why did God let this happen to me? Where is he? Why isn't he helping me? Losing faith in him. And what happens if their interactions, their social interactions, even with church members, are negative? Then that could exacerbate their, dis their, their unhealthy beliefs about God as well. So the effect on the frontal lobe, again, could decrease their ability to make good spiritual decisions for life. So we need to help heal the broken brain because ultimately we want them to choose life and life eternal. So a little bit about the brain and how that is engaged in addictions. This is a picture of some areas of the brain that are involved in the, um, the addictive process. And um, all addictive chemicals and addictive behaviors influence this area of the brain and this process. And we actually have uh, good imaging that shows how these areas are impacted. We'll look at some of those. The nucleus accumbens septi. That's one of those really key areas. And you'll see it's, it's part of that green line that you'll see. And you'll see how that directly connects to the prefrontal cortex as well. So that's why we're seeing a lot of poor decision making is because that pathway to the decision making center of the brain is being damaged and interrupted. Drugs of abuse target the brain's pleasure center. Did you know that pleasure is God-given? God created our brains with the ability to sense pleasure. And what you see in this graph, the, the first, uh, the, the middle picture, is actually food having an impact on the pleasure center. And those orange dots are symbolic of dopamine, which is a, a neurotransmitter. It's called the feel-good hormone. When your brain produces dopamine, you feel better. And food can do that. But right next to that, the picture on the right is the impact of cocaine. And what you see is that there's so much more, there's a flood of dopamine coming out. 
And what that is doing, it, it actually, again, the benumbing process, it makes your pleasure centers less responsive to the drug. So your body needs more of it to get any response. And your body wants pleasure. So you need more of the drug, more of the behavior. It's just pushing that to more, 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 because your body wants that pleasure. Your body, we all want to be happy. And dopamine is part of that process. What are some of the changes? Again, just a summary of that. The dopamine overstimulation produces euphoria, and it teaches people to repeat the behavior. So again, this is that, that chemical process happening in the brain that's driving, continuing to push the addiction. It's one of the factors. It doesn't summarize everything, but it's certainly one of the factors where we need to consider what is happening in the brain. It is not inherently bad to feel good. Amen? Amen. Do you feel good when you get a good sunshine yeah. out in the sun? Amen. Do you feel good when you, puppies and babies, when they're happy? It's not bad to feel good. God wants us to be happy and joyful and to have pleasure in our life. But the devil takes everything that God created for good and he turns it against us. So here are some ways to get natural dopamine. So tyrosine, which is an amino acid, and it's found in many foods, protein-rich foods, including soy and legumes, that amino acid is converted into dopamine in our brain. There's also some evidence that some of the bacteria in our gut can actually produce dopamine. I found this interesting, velvet beans. I have not heard of velvet beans before. So somebody please discover it and come up with some good recipes. <laughs> But velvet beans and fava beans apparently contain L-DOPA, which is a precursor to dopamine. Exercise can produce dopamine, so we feel good when we move. And high-quality sleep. Okay, these are, some of these are what we've known to do, our health behaviors, our health laws of life, right? Good things. These can help us feel good, too. But as we saw in that picture comparing food and cocaine, there are some things that produce a much stronger response, so these things aren't as effective anymore. Here's a quote from, I don't know this person, I've never read any of his things, but I found this quote to be very apropos. It's difficult to think anything but pleasant thoughts while eating a homegrown tomato. Isn't that true? <laughs> right? It's true, especially if you like tomatoes. Um, but food was created for pleasure as well, right? And so we can use food to help people recover. We give them the natural, the God-given pleasure by helping them to find healthier food options. But let's look at the root cause root cause. Again, there are many different causes, underlying um, issues, and honestly, for any one particular person, it may be difficult to say, well, that was the starting point for you. It may be difficult, but that's okay. 
we want to look at the underlying issues because we need to address underlying issues, but our goal is for recovery. Our goal is to help them. I'm going to stick to the last point here for sake of time. 96% of people who seek treatment for addictions report abuse and trauma. 96%. Not only that, but much of this happens during childhood. The vast majority of trauma and abuse stems from childhood. As young as newborns, toddlers, preschoolers, are children living in situations that are so unsafe and so harmful that it is impacting their brain and their ability to make healthy choices. There's a lot of study that has been done on adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. You can certainly look that up. We have some wonderful Adventists who are doing great work in this area too, looking at how we can help people who have experiences. One of my good friends is a neurodevelopmental pediatric psychologist. So she is working with two-month-olds who have been abused and helping them in their recovery. Isn't that really devastating, right? So an ACE is defined as any traumatic, disturbing, or stressful event that causes a disruption in normal childhood development. I, I'm so, um, my, I have a two-year-old niece, and I tell you, she's the luckiest girl in the world. Right now, her parents and she are living with my parents, so she's with her grandparents. They have a beautiful yard and garden, and she gets to go out there and pick fruits, and, and they show us videos, they send us videos all the time of her, just having the time of her life, and I think that is the ideal for a child. Just surrounded by love and a healthy environment. But too many of our children don't have that. Think about the refugees coming into this country. They're coming from war, where they've witnessed loved ones being killed in front of their eyes. And they're coming here where they don't know the language, they don't know the customs, they don't know how to buy food, they don't know how to get around, and they're having to fend for themselves. So this is not necessarily people who are just bad people. This could be anyone just caught in a terrible situation. So abuse, neglect, or family challenges. And look at the long list of family challenges. So the death of a parent during childhood, bullying during childhood, being in a serious accident, an injury. It's quite a list. And what we see is actually the more hits that a person has, the more likely they're, they're to fall into abuse or even mental health problems. So what we want to do is surround our children and each other in a healthy atmosphere. 
Um, I'm going to skip this. Well, actually, let's go to the second to the last uh, point here. Preventing these ACEs can reduce levels of early sex, unintended teen pregnancy, smoking, binge drinking, illicit drug use, violence, incarceration, and look at the last one, an unhealthy diet. By giving our children a safe, healthy environment. Isn't that amazing? So when we are talking about a healthy diet, and as a dietitian, I do all the time. I promote it. I love it. But we also have to remember, I need to meet their mind where they are and help them through. Okay, let's go to some good news. Recovery is possible. Amen? Recovery is possible. Full recovery is possible. Here's a very quick image of a brain. Um, the, the picture on the far left is a healthy brain, and this is a picture of the dopamine being released in their brain. In the middle, it's a meth user one month after they stopped using it. And we're seeing it looks a little bit like the normal brain, but quite a few differences, especially in the coloring. But 14 months later, we see some dramatic changes in their dopamine response in the brain. So even the brain can change. Praise God. Praise God our brains can change. And let's go back to the story of Daniel to close up. What was it that for Daniel that protected him from all this influence around him because he could have gone down that, down that road. He had the opportunity. He had the choice. What kept him safe? Amen. Let's read about that in Prophets and King. In inquiring the wisdom of the Babylonians, Daniel and his companions were far more successful than their fellow students. But their learning did not come by chance. By the way, did you know, did you notice that Daniel, when they changed his name, he said, okay, whatever, I'll just call myself Daniel, but you can call me whatever you want. Yes. Did you notice, he said, you're going to teach me your religion and your science and whatever. Okay, fine, teach me. I'll learn it. But when they said, you got to eat this food, he said, let's negotiate. You know, we've come into a good, relation, good healthy relationship. Remember, healthy relationships are at the core of making change. He said, We're, we have a good relationship. Can I suggest something? So... Even if we are encumbered by the wisdom of the world, we don't have to give in. How did it happen in their life? They obtained their knowledge by the faithful use of their powers under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We've got to remember the need of the Holy Spirit. They placed themselves in connection with the source of all wisdom, making the knowledge of God the foundation of their education. 
The book of Psalms, chapter 119, says, I have more knowledge than my teachers because I have made your law my delight. The foundation of God's word will supersede any other wisdom that we might have to learn. In faith, they prayed for wisdom, and they lived their prayers. They placed themselves where God could bless them. They avoided that which weakened their powers and improved every opportunity to become intelligent in all lines of learning. They followed the rules of life that could not fail to give them strength of intellect. We have to keep going here. They sought to acquire knowledge for one purpose, that they might honor God. Friends, it comes down to purpose. We saw that in the video. It comes up over and over again. What is our purpose? They realized that in order to stand as representatives of true religion among the false religions of heathenism, they must have clearness of intellect and must perfect a Christian character. They had a purpose to honor God, and nothing was going to take that away from them. In fact, they were able to bring the most powerful man in the world to his knees before God. Standing by a purpose true, Mrs. Mayor, heeding God's command. Our brains can be restructured. You know, Daniel is the example for those who, yes, have had some trauma, but have been able to resist the temptation to go down that road. What about those who, it's, it's, that, boat, that boat has sailed, we've gone down that road. What about those who are struggling? We all struggle with something, remember. Whether it's a clinical addiction or not is another question, but what about those of us who need help? Our brains can be rebuilt. Amen. God programmed the brain to be able to restructure. It's called neuroplasticity. We want a healthy brain that can learn and grow, and that's what happens. And it will rewire when we begin doing the things that are healthier. It will change. Uh, let's, oh, quick slide. This is so important. This is a summary, a very quick summary of research that has been done by Andrews University on looking at Adventist young people and what are the factors in their life that have prevented them from participating in destructive behaviors. Okay, this is among Adventists. Family worship at least once a week. We need to gather our children around us, our, our, our parents around us, whoever it is in our family, our, our roommates, whoever's our family right now, gather around for family worship. Knowing that the parent loves them unconditionally. Yes, we may have to you know, have some words if something goes wrong, but I still love you. A lot of love and warmth in the family. The family eating dinner together five times a week. 
just sitting down and eating at the table without the distractions of, of you know, those devices. Having a healthy conversation together. Attending church and other religious programs during the week and their personal devotion life. These have been shown among our Adventists to prevent them from making unhealthy decisions. And what's wonderful about it is that these things also aid in the recovery process. So praise God. He gave us our family. He gave us the church. He gave us the Sabbath to protect us against addictions. And to heal us. I know we need to end. I want to just jump to one quote that is so has been really powerful as we think about it. The power of God is the one element of efficiency in, in the grand work of obtaining the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil, the power of God, it is in accordance with the divine plan that we follow every ray of light given of God. Amen? If God said it. We believe it. That's good enough for me. We need to help those for whom it's not good enough. We need to help them get there, right? We deal with minds where they are. But the power of God is the one element of efficiency. But going on, man can accomplish nothing without God, but, and, God has arranged his plans so as to accomplish nothing in the restoration of the human race without the cooperation of the, of the human with the divine. Wow. The part man is required to sustain is immeasurably small. Yet in the plan of God, it is just that part that is needed to make the work a success. It is the power of God. But he says, but I love you too much to take away your power of choice. I love you too much to make you just a robot. I love you too much to, to, to strip you of, the, of what I created you with. So use your brain. Make your healthy choices. And I will do everything. We have such a beautiful message, my friends that a world that is dying needs. And they want it. They desire it. I wish I could tell you more stories, but my time is up. Just to end. Oh, we have to say this one. I'm sorry, we have to do this one. One who is weakened and even degraded by sinful indulgence may become a son, a daughter, a child of God. Praise the Lord. It is in his power to be constantly doing good to others, helping them to overcome temptation, and in so doing, he will reap benefit to himself. 
he may be a bright and shining light in the world. And then, just as Daniel was able to say in chapter 12, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Friends, that is our calling, to turn many to the righteousness of Christ. And in turn, for them to become sons and daughters of God and to gain their stars as well. It's a mighty work that we are called to do. The temperance work was one of Ellen White's favorite things to talk about. She loved talking about it. And we today are called to finish the work. May God give us strength and hope and perseverance and clarity of purpose in this work. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.